0: Our e-commerce team is two people. So you're going to get somebody who knows what they're talking about. If you look at our Google reviews, anything that has to do with online, they're like, wow, I was actually able to talk to a person. I always want to stay in that sweet spot where we're still that small, local, family owned and operated. I think no matter how big we get online, that has to still be there. And I think if we were ever sacrificing that for volume, we would lose part of our competitive advantage.
1: In the last five years, outdoor gear company Sherpers has gone from less than 1% of its business revenue coming from e commerce to now having a 50 50 split between in store and online. And for this fourth generation family business, that move to online has been both challenging and rewarding. As an old school mom and pop business, Sherpers has always prided itself on building personal relationships with customers and providing a level of customer success that you won't find anywhere else, not even with the digitally native guys. So finding a way to create a digital experience that allowed Sherpers to scale its operation, yet maintain a personal touch, like their employees delivering kayaks to nearby customers, was a top priority for the company. Leading the way in that journey is Nathan Sherper, the president of Sherpers, who has come a long way from those days of scrubbing toilets for the family business when he was just 12 years old. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Nathan takes us behind the scenes of how Sherpers built out its e-commerce platform and what its competitive edge is over the Amazons and Walmarts of the world. Plus, we go into how the Shippers online platform performed when the pandemic forced more people online than ever before, who were in search of outdoor goods to cure their cabin fever. And if you're wondering what it takes to keep a family business running for multiple generations, stay tuned, because Nathan has some great insights into that. Enjoy this episode. Before we dive into the episode, I want to let you in on a little secret. Did you know that Mission has the number one e-commerce newsletter? It's amazing. It has really good news and insights and case studies that you will not find anywhere else. So go subscribe, mission.org slash next in commerce. All right, onto the show. Really quick, I wanna say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm gonna allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent state of commerce report.
2: Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerceinsights. That's sfdc.co slash commerceinsights, one word.
1: Welcome to Up Next in Commerce. This is Stephanie Postles, CEO at Mission.org and your host of this lovely show. Today, I'm chatting with Nathan Sherper, who currently serves as the president at Sherpers. Nathan, welcome.
0: Hi, good to be here.
1: Good to see you. I feel like I need to be like coming live from Lake Michigan, right? Is that where you're at?
0: The shores of Lake Michigan. Yeah, I feel like I'm that meme of like what, uh, what your job is and what your friends think you do and your family thinks you do and your coworkers think you do. And I'm, I'm kind of hitting the stereotype right now, camping it. But I think it's only the second time I've been camping in the last two years because it's been kind of a a busy run.
1: Oh, wow. I was thinking, I'm like, this must be Nathan's thing. Like he's always just out in the woods living (laughs) his best outdoor life to really like get the brand right. That's that's fun. So Sherpers is an outdoor retailer, fourth generation family owned and operated. And I want to hear all about the background starting back in like 1935, because we haven't had on many companies that have been family owned and operated for that long. And your company especially seems like it's gone through many transformations and changes over the years. And I was hoping you can kind of start with the story and, you know, what was Sherper's doing back in the thirties? So
0: 1935 it was opened up by my great grandfather, Sam, and it was actually a men's haberdashery. So it was church wear. It was like top hats and canes and suits. I
1: didn't know what haberdashery was. I, I literally Googled it. I was like, what is this word?
0: Yeah. So that was, uh, that's what it started out as. Um, and then um, my grandfather and his brother, they fought in World War II, I believe it was. And when they came back, there was just a ton of Army-Navy surplus because the government was selling off all the uniforms and the gear and everything. And you could buy it really, really inexpensive at auctions. Um, so they thought it would be a good idea to buy all this stuff up, bring it back and sell it. And that was kind of when the camping boom started and a lot of the stuff that the military was using because they were, you know, basically camping you know, they bought that all up and, and, and sold it to people in Wisconsin to go camping. And so it was a surplus store probably from the 50s. Um, really up until today, we still carry surplus. But um, then we kind of started to transition to kind of more of a, a general outdoor store, I would say, in the 90s and picked up brands like Columbia, and Eureka Tents, and, and some of the more name brand camping uh, brands that we know of today.
1: Awesome. And so you entered the business in 2015, right? Or is that when you officially... Yeah, president. so that's when,
0: that's when I officially came back. My, my first day on the job was when I was 12 because I really, really wanted to work. And I worked in a, a store location where my aunt was uh, running the store. And first day I had to go around the store and write on a notepad every single product that we carried. And if I didn't know what it was, we had to go back to the store and my aunt had to tell me what it did. And then after I did that, she made me clean the toilets. So that was my <laughs> very first day on the job. But uh, worked kind of throughout high school as a summer job, um, went to college, I uh, had a six-year run in corporate America at Abercrombie & Fitch. And and then after that, came back um, into the family business. And I'm in the role I'm currently in now.
1: Very cool. Did you always know that you were going to come back and pe- be a part of the business again? Or were you like, you know, one of those people who's like, I'm not doing the family thing. I'm often going to do my own thing for a while.
0: It was always in the back of my mind. Um, I, I thought it would be a really cool thing. There was zero pressure from my family to come back into it. If anything, I think they were like, go and do your own thing. Because I think sometimes you want the opposite for your, for your kids of what you had. So I think yeah. my dad was like, you know, I kind of wish what I, you know, wish there might've been something outside of the family business. I wonder what I could have done. So he said, go explore that. Um, but I did that for six years and, and I loved my corporate American job. I, I learned a lot of things, but really I just wanted to have something that was more entrepreneurial. And if I succeeded, it was because of me. And if I failed, it was because of me. Um, and kind of what better business to go back into because it had been established, but it it needed some things to to continue on into the next generation. And yeah, I I just kind of never looked back and it's been been a great choice.
1: Yeah, that's very cool. So thinking about a company that's been around for so long, I'm sure there are a lot of lessons and themes that you guys, you know, look back on where you're like, wow, this is what kept us running. Because thinking about like staying running for that long and staying, you know, relevant seems very difficult. So what kind of lessons or, you know, theme did you guys have around the business that maybe is still true today?
0: I think like, you know, it's kind of cliche, but customer service, first and foremost, we've always been small. We've been all, like kind of that small mom and pop shop and being able to do things that maybe some small mom and pop shops can't do. But I've always had that mentality where we know customers' names can kind of go out of our way for customers. So I think that's been kind of one of the biggest things for us is we've stayed true to who we are, you know, over the eight, six years of business.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cool. So you guys did not have an e-commerce presence five years ago, right? Like when you entered into the business, were you just strictly retail?
0: We were pretty much strictly retail. I mean, I think we were doing like 0.01% on e-commerce. We had a website. There were a couple items up there, but it, it really wasn't a focus just because it, it was going to be a huge investment. You know, we had to have somebody who knew what they're doing and run it. And then just the technology and the labor behind it, you know, it was going to be kind of a huge leap of faith. So it wasn't anything that you know, I think my dad and my brothers in the business with me were kind of willing to do at that point until we kind of set up a plan and, and tried to figure out what the best jump into it was going to be.
1: Mm-hmm. What did the early days of strategizing look like to try and convince people to come on that journey with you and show them that this is, you know, a good way to go?
0: One of our store managers was the one who, who did the first website. He learned how to, you know, do the back end things of the website and build product. So we had him, you know, a couple hours a day off the floor building that, putting product up, And we really got to the point where I was like, okay, you know, I I think if nothing else, we need a website that shows the product that we carry in the stores. Because for the local people, that's where they're going to first, especially for big ticket items like a kayak or a tent. They might not be buying it online, but they're going to research it online before they come into the store. So for me, that was kind of the first step because we at least need to get the shelves stocked on the website and, and show the product that we have kind of once I, I realized that that could be step one. And if we sold 20 more kayaks a year, it was going to be worth the investment that we put into it. Um, mm-hmm. I hired somebody full-time um, for the website and have kind of never looked back from there.
1: That's great. So now are you more 50-50 with like retail versus e-commerce sales? Or what does it look like today? Just only a couple of years later?
0: So in, 20, uh, in 2020, we were almost uh, exactly 50-50, uh, again, coming from less than a percent five years ago.
1: Wow. Very cool. And I'm guessing the whole pie also increased. It wasn't like, oh, it you know cannibalized retail. Now you're just getting more access.
0: Yeah. I mean, if anything, I think it helped local retail again, You know, just letting people in, in our area know what we had to come into the store. So it was easy for them to research something on Amazon. But then if they were just like, oh, I'll buy it on Amazon rather than come into the store. Now we've got the website; they can research it on our site and either come into the store or buy. So I think the local market it's helped, um, especially with COVID. For for mm-hmm. people who still wanted to shop with us when our, we were closed, it absolutely helped. And then it, you know it opened up the the infinite market share of the internet,
1: basically. Yeah. So then you had to. Kind of start finding new acquisition channels too to you know connect with people online where maybe you're used to the more local scene like bringing people into the retail locations. Tell me a bit about how you had to shift your mindset around gathering new customers that maybe you weren't tapping into before or even you know knew how to connect with.
0: Yeah, I think it it kind of happened organically. I mean, we didn't really do a lot of paid advertising Uh, initially. We had a pretty good social presence that we were doing, and I think the product of the website was really good. But we really didn't do a whole lot of paid advertising right away, and I think. For us, it was kind of finding niche markets online that we could play in, and we've kind of been a store that's always carried un- unique and hard to find items. And it was trying to figure out what those unique and hard to find items were online that people would come to our site, experience our site, like it, and then maybe come back for something that wasn't quite as niche because they had a good experience with us.
1: Mm-hmm. What are some unique and hard to find products? I'm trying to imagine, like in out in the outdoor world, like what's unique.
0: I think a lot of it was at first we we were a surplus store. And that was kind of Army-Navy surplus, but it was almost like, you know, how can we transfer that to current goods? And and maybe it was a last year model of tents, or maybe it was a last year color of a Patagonia something. And we had that, and we might be the only one that had it left. We could probably offer it at a discount because we might have, you know, bought it at, at a discount as an overstock. And I think that brought a lot of people in initially, and, and it's still, you know, part of our business model, not all. Uh, customers need the latest and greatest of something, you know, even in Mm -hmm. the outdoor space where things are fairly technical, it doesn't change a whole lot year year over year. So if we could offer kind of that value to our customer of something that, you know, REI didn't have, or another big player didn't have that, that drew people to our website, um, just like it has our stores.
1: Yep. And you guys have a lot of good brand partners. Did that get accelerated once you had an e-commerce presence, or did you always have a lot of partnerships even before that?
0: I mean, we had a lot of great partnerships on, honestly, even some of the bigger brands we work with are, are still family owned and operated businesses. So we kind of always had that tie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say the businesses that we had the best relationship with are the ones that we grew online, the ones where we could sit down at, at a show or have a meeting and say, okay, here's your business strategy. Here's our business strategy. How do they align? What can we do? And and those conversations, you know, have resulted in growing the business with some of those brands, you know, 10, 20 uh, times over in the last couple of years.
1: Yeah. The one thing I'm thinking about is like with a company that's, you know, has a bunch of products and brands that they're curating and, you know, selling, how do you keep your customer to keep coming back to you? I'm imagining, okay, I go and I buy a Patagonia jacket from you guys. And I'm like, I had a great experience, but then maybe in, I don't know, three or five years when I want a new one, how do you make sure that I remember you instead of just going, you know, to Patagonia and just buying directly from them?
0: Yeah, I mean, we have all the traditional things where we'll put, the, you know, a thank you ten coupon in the box and tell a little bit of the Sherper's history. We'll get them on our email blast. We'll try to get them to follow social media. But I think the big thing is the again the customer service piece of it. Um, we have our, our e-commerce team is you know two people, so you're going to get somebody who knows what they're talking about. They've been with the company for a long time now. You know, if there's an issue, sometimes it gets bubbled up to me and I'm actually dealing with the customer. So it's still that. There's a, there's a face to the name when, when you're dealing with us. And I think people appreciate that. If you look at our Google reviews, anything that has to do with online, they're like, wow, I was actually, actually able to talk to a person. I was actually able to talk to a person who had used this tent. I was actually able to talk to a person who could fix my issue. I always kind of want to stay in that sweet spot where we're still that small, local, family-owned and operated. I think no matter how big we get online, that has to still be there. And I think if we were ever sacrificing that for volume, uh, it, we would lose part of our competitive advantage. And I I don't think I would ever want to do that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I love how you guys lean into the story and go all the way back to the early days of like how it started. And I want you to tell a bit about, you know, the name and what happened of like why your last name does not match the company's name and just kind of like how you lean into that story to really, yeah, to me, it sells like the vision of the company and makes me connect more than I would with maybe another brand that doesn't have that same kind of story.
0: Yeah, so that's that's one of our favorite stories and usually customers too. So my last name is spelled uh, S-C-H-E-R-P-E-R, Sherper, and the store mm-hmm. is S-H-E-R-P-E-R. And the story goes that when my great-grandpa Sam went to open up um, the first store location, the last thing he bought was uh, the sign, but he didn't have enough money left for a sign that would fit enough letters for the full last name. So he dropped the C from the name and it's been the same way ever since. And for us, like that resonates with me because I just think of like my grandpa and my dad just being super frugal and watching expenses and making sure that, you know, you're not overextending yourself. It's, it's, you know, evolution, not revolution as we go forward. So like that sticks with me. And then even just kind of our surplus nature and off price nature, you know, sometimes it doesn't need to be perfect. What is kind of the cost benefit of of entering into something? It might not be the best and brightest, but does it work and can you afford it? Okay, go for it. And so that kind of resonates with me too. We're also just, um, we have a section of our store that we're just starting to that we're going to call the Lost C. Mm-hmm. So it's the, the C that we dropped from the name and it's, a, it's our like clearance and off price section in the store to play up just kind of that savings mentality. So it's, yeah. it's, it's been a message that stuck with me for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's fun that you're finding new ways to incorporate the story and not changing it, but finding kind of new marketing ways to sell the story and connect with the consumer now that might be a little bit different than you know what people wanted to hear about back in the 30s and 40s. Like, how do you find ways to get capitalized on that and sell it in a way that, you know, still is highlighting your company and the great products you have, but also is making sure people continue to hear about, you know, what's behind the company. And like you said, the clearance thing, that's such a good marketing tactic and would easily pull me into the story where a lot of people don't have that advantage.
0: Yeah, so I, I think, again, it's just like, we are a small, locally owned and operated store. And, you know, that's always been a message. I I think, you know, as of late, especially during COVID, I think that was a message, but I think people realize that they can get a different level of service from them than they can the Amazons of the world. And like, yes, Amazon is always going to win or most of the time they're going to win on speed. But they're not going to do certain things. And one of the things that happened during COVID that we had always kind of done, but we played up, is we uh, sell canoes and kayaks. While we were shut down, we did free delivery of all our canoes and kayaks within a 25 mile radius around the store. And actually, it ended up probably being 100 or 200 miles And uh, in some cases. And my brother and I just delivered boats to people
1: oh my gosh. to
0: keep things going. We bought, we had a, one trailer, we bought another trailer. And as people were buying boats, we said, okay, yeah, it can be, well, well, it'll be there tomorrow. If you buy it now, I'll have your boat there tomorrow. You don't have to come to the store. You don't have to worry about the rack for your car, um, you know, pay over the phone and it'll be there tomorrow. And Amazon can't do that. So us being small and flexible and being able to do that, you know, that's still, I think how we can win and, and have that competitive advantage.
1: Yeah. And how many retail locations do you all have right now?
0: So we have three brick and mortar. So we had two when I started and we opened up a third in 2018.
1: Okay. Next, I'm thinking about you and your brother trying to deliver all these boats, and that's wild. It also seems like you have to have employees of a certain mindset. I mean, even when you're talking about the, you know, the store owner or manager who was like doing your website, that seems like such a different kind of employee than maybe other retail locations have access to, or delivering boats.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you hit it on the head. I mean, that's exactly it. like the, everybody's day is is different every single day, especially as. The owner and president. My day changes all the time, but you know our e-commerce person. If we get sixteen pallets of deliveries in one day and we've got to fit them in the background, she's down there unpacking boxes. If somebody's out sick and on the e-commerce team, my manager's filling in. So everybody knows kind of you know what to do, and that can be frustrating sometimes because it pulls you away from work. And you know I'm not going to say employees are always you know super happy that they're working on one thing and get pulled to another, but they're always willing to do it, and that's really how I hired and how you know, the people that have succeeded with us are just willing to do anything on any given day. Um, And we've reaped the benefits from it because it's there's never, oh, that's not my job or I wasn't trained to do that. You know, it's just, okay, this is our company. This is our business. I'll do whatever it takes.
1: There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities, to interesting investment ideas, to the latest research in health and exercise, and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. How are you sourcing and recruiting people like that? Because a lot of people will come into an interview and say, Oh yeah, I'll do whatever it takes. But then when it gets down to it, I don't think everyone does. So how do you identify that in someone? Like what kind of qualities are you looking for? What questions are you looking for? That'll find people who are you know, scrappy and have grit and ready to get their hands dirty, but then also, you know, kind of be placed wherever, like, what are you looking for?
0: I mean, I think part of it is like we've had some longtime employees. So just yesterday, we celebrated the 20th anniversary of one of our employees. He started when he was 55. Now he's 75. Wow. Had, we've had people for a long time. We've got another employee that's been there for 25 years that are not family members. And a lot of family members have been there for a while. But I think everybody else is I've, I've always kind of hired on personality. Like, I think you can train people most things that they need to know. Or if somebody is really a go getter, they can train themselves on something. Mm-hmm. So I think it's been personality, um, you know, our e-commerce person, as we were going, she was one of the first people that, you know, I didn't really know. And, um, you know, had, had met off of, you know, a job recruiting website, but the interview went really, really well. and I liked her and she worked for us for about a year and she really liked it. And she said, my husband's kind of thinking of a new career, you know, would there be something at Sherpers that you think he, he would work for him? And I was like, well, I had met him a couple times and I was like, yeah, let's talk. And you know he was a great guy. She was she was obviously awesome for me and married to him. So I was like, yeah, let's hire him. We'll figure out something for him to do. He ended up managing like our shipping and receiving uh, department. He's now kind of transitioning over to um, our website and some of our third party marketplaces. And so it's just been finding the person and then saying, okay, what is your skill set? What are you willing and able to do? And you know, here, here's the job, and it's probably going to change next year. And as long yeah. as you're willing to do that we'll keep growing.
1: Yep. Oh, I like, I love that. It's more focused on, yeah, personality and mindset. And like, as long as you can learn, you'll be good. So yeah, I like that. When I go back to like COVID questions, which I've kind of avoided those, but for you guys, it seems relevant because outdoors, you know, expanded a ton. Everyone was doing more outdoors things. I'm sure you guys grew a ton. What were some of the challenges this past year and a half or so around probably getting a lot more interest and sales and new customers coming in and you know inventory things like what kind of challenges do you guys experience
0: Yeah I mean like to stay, take one step back the first challenge was you know March of last year are we going to be around for another year you know I think that was the the big thing and you know I had a date on the calendar where it was like okay if we can't do the revenue that I'm expecting us to do you know what we're going to do and then all of a sudden it was kind of with this boat thing that I was talking about the deliveries I was going into the store and just doing some things at the store you know, paying bills and, and kind of get ready for when we were open up and the phone was ringing off the hook. It, it was like, I was just so upset that I couldn't reach those customers. So I ended up having the, the, the store, uh, the phone at the store, um, rerouted to my cell phone. So I was getting all the calls and all of a sudden, and all of a sudden I was like, you know, every day somebody was like, do you sell kayaks? Do you sell kayaks? Do you sell kayaks? And for me, it clicked. It was like, Oh my God, this is all anybody is going to want to do is go outside yeah. So uh, probably two, three weeks into lockdown, I was like, okay, we need to beef up. We need to go after this inventory. I hadn't canceled any of my orders because I didn't want to do that to my vendor partners. I kind of wanted to see what was going to happen. And then all of a sudden, I got on the phone with them and I was like, I want to double my order. And, and all of them were like, are you crazy? Like Everybody is canceling their orders right now. And I was like, no, this is, like, this is going to explode. So it was just getting all that inventory in. And, and luckily, we had the inventory to do it because there, there was a couple bike stores in in my town that they were out of bikes by, you know, the first week they opened up. So Mm -hmm. although the industry was doing well, they couldn't get any in the inventory and they had to, you know, basically shut their stores down again because they didn't have anything to sell. So kind of by that, like, okay, you know, I want to know what people are calling about. I want to know what my customer wants. Like that's always something that we put at the forefront. And when I I found that out, I was like, okay, we've got to double down on this. Yeah.
1: Do you think that would have been something you would have learned from maybe your customer support team or other employees? Or is that something where you're like, you really just need to get in there and get your hands dirty for maybe like, you know, twice a week, every quarter, have calls come to you so you hear the trends and can kind of stay on top of things?
0: I think both. I mean, I think I have a great team and I think they use their, you know, they're all super, super intelligent people. And a lot of times bring stuff to me that, you know, I'm not seeing. so. You know, I think that it probably would have come to me, but I think experiencing it myself, especially in a time with so much uncertainty, and especially when everybody was worrying about everything, I don't know if an employee would have come to me and been like, "The phone's ringing off the hook." You know, you should order more kayaks when you're, you know, yeah. not generating every any revenue and paying us all our, our paycheck right now. I don't know if anybody would have come and told me that. So, I think in that yeah. specific instance, I might have not have had the the confidence to say okay, let's go after this if I hadn't done it myself.
1: And did you experience any issues with like the supplier running out of inventory? Because it seems like it's such a, you know, butterfly effect of like, sure, you can order more, but then if they didn't order more of their parts and, you know, they were maybe planning for a pullback that could also, you know, negatively impact you guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I would say it's impacting us more this year because we're kind of finally feeling it. I think I was able to scoop up a lot of the inventory that maybe people canceled last year and we, we were able to get. And then I think when everybody... Realized it, you know, there was, you know, it, the industry boomed, and I think those suppliers probably didn't have as much on order as they thought. And then just everything that's happening with shipping and logistics, and and kind of the nightmares that are going on right now with that, it's been tougher to get inventory. So it's it's kind of finally catching up to us. But I think since we were the ones who supported those companies before and supported our vendors before, um, and have good relationships over the past years, they're definitely doing everything they can for us. Whereas um, some other retailers might not be getting quite the same treatment treatment. And I'm I'm super appreciative of that.
1: Mm-hmm. What are you planning for for the next couple of years now that, you know, I feel like you were a little bit ahead just because you were able to see what your customers wanted and you jumped on it really quickly. Now I'm like, well, let's peek into the future. Like, what are you guys planning for now and trying to yeah prep?
0: So I think luckily like we were already doing a lot of the things that the big guys are trying to pivot to like the buy online pickup in store or the Mm -hmm. ship from store. Like we didn't have a distribution center. So we ship from store, we pull product off the store and we ship from store. So all of that stuff that kind of has these fancy names and acronyms we were already doing just out of necessity. Um, You know, curbside pickup, we were already doing, you know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll take something out to the parking lot, put it in your truck. Like we've always done that. So, you know, I think that, that stuff, I think we're going to be, be set for, I think it's just looking for, uh, from the e-commerce side, I think it's just additional channels to sell in. Um, things are changing so rapidly just with different marketplaces and and how you can sell on social media and just making sure we keep up with that and making sure that you know the brands that we do have good relationships with, are we doing them the best service? Is their product getting out there in all the different ways that trippers can get it out there um, and continue to grow with them that way? I think that's going to be a big piece. And then for us being small, uh, you know, independent retail stores and and small local communities, I think we're going to see a boom when everybody feels like it's safe to go back out and shop again. I think, yeah, maybe people aren't going to go back to, you know, Walmart or Walgreens or those places, you know, quite as much because they learned they could buy online and get their necessities there. But I think the like, oh, it's a nice sunny Saturday. Let's go shopping in, you know, one of our towns and and hop around and go eat at the local restaurant. Like, I think we're going to see a resurgence of that too. So I think some of the more mom and pop you know, small downtown, you know, middle America stores are going to see a little bit of a resurgence. So I'm excited to see that too.
1: There's definitely a lot of pent up demand, I think, for people wanting to get back in person and be together and, you know, experience going into a store and, you know, being able to see the curated collections and doing all the things that they haven't been able to do in a while. How are you all thinking about creating that environment or maybe just leaning back into it when you haven't done it for a little while um, and doing new things?
0: Yeah, I think it's leaning back into it. And I think even just like, you know, we've had, we had decent traffic, you know, in our stores, we've got fairly big stores and they're never super crowded. So we've had a decent amount of people come back, you know, in even, even after the lockdown, but I think just leaning back into that customer service and just like dealing with real hype life, life human beings, I think like everybody's getting zoom fatigue and a little bit of mm-hmm. work from home fatigue. Like, yeah, it's nice. And yeah, we might want to continue on with it a couple of days a week, but we don't want to be, you know, sitting in our underwear at our desk on Zoom five days a week. Like we want to go back to a little bit of normalcy with that. So I think it's the same thing. Like, okay, yeah, Amazon was great. You know, the getting grocery delivery was great. But like, it's also great to go into a store and talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about. And maybe they talk you into something that you weren't necessarily thinking, you know, you thought you wanted this tent, but after talking through it with a human being who's been in the tent, who can tell you their stories of why they like something, you know, that, that experience you, you maybe haven't been having over the last couple months. So I think just, again, leaning back into that is, is going to be key for us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It makes me think of this one show I watched. I think the guy is like, uh, Tim Allen's in it with like the whole outdoor world show. And they, it reminds me of, um, I forget what the other store is, but I'm not obviously big in outdoor stores, but you walk in there and it's like a thing where you're like, I'm going to spend, it's like Costco. Like, I'm going to commit an hour to walk through the store and see all the new products and talk to people. Like, I'm committed when I go into stores like that. And yeah, I love thinking about, like, different partnerships and events and uh, just where the world could be in another, hopefully, six months to where we can get back out there and explore again.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So when you've been um, going through this e-commerce journey, launching a website, like, what are some lessons that you've... um gotten from going through that experience these past couple of years and what are you doing differently now?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I think I've always been kind of like, I, I, I want to, uh, I, we need to evolve. I want to evolve, but I've kind of been cautious as we jump into stuff. And I think the biggest thing was, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what's the investment going to be? And if it doesn't work out, you know, what, what would the effect be on the business? You know, if we threw X amount of dollars at something and that never came back in, you know, what would that happen? And, and I think, um, in one sense, I think it's been good because we've been cautious and the things that haven't worked out that haven't hurt us that much. And the things that have worked out have been awesome, but just kind of continuing to, you know, seek those things out and understand what they are. And, you know, that's, it's something that, you know, just knowing that different things are, are out there um, and our potentials and possibilities is important. So doing as much research as I can and what might help us grow, especially from the e-commerce standpoint.
1: Yeah. So what, what experiments haven't worked out? And what things are you betting big on right now that you're excited about?
0: I, I think the one thing that we did is we we went fairly heavy into paid digital advertising at some point. And we still do it. But I think kind of like we we're talking about, you know, how can we win against, you know, Patagonia selling director, Patagonia and REI? Well, we kind of went after that at one point. And mm-hmm. pretty quickly, I realized we, we can't compete. Like we don't have the, the advertising budget to compete on Patagonia's number one jacket. So I think that was probably one of the biggest lessons that we entered into and said okay although that's working for some of the big guys and people are you know the google shopping ads are you know huge for some people that wasn't going to work for us so i think that was the probably the biggest learning um and i think for us it's looking at just technology that's going to help us scale and help us um still have the service level we do still have the feel that we do but kind of be able to handle like some of the back-end logistics so i think that's the biggest thing we've made some last year we made a decent amount of investment in it. And then kind of coming out of COVID, we've made a little bit more investment in some of those things just to have us be able to handle the volume that that we saw over the past year.
1: Yeah. Are you looking into different types of content? Because to me, that feels like a more level playing field now where you can compete against the bigger brands because it's essentially like who's more creative, who has the better TikTok videos, who can kind of like, you know, hone in their community and their tribe to then them wherever they go like how have you guys thought about things like that that maybe aren't as costly and you can actually compete yeah
0: i think that's like the biggest low-hanging fruit for us i mean we do a good job of social media just posting and, and feeling very authentic and natural but it's not something we spend a ton of time on and i think it's kind of always like an afterthought and we we have facebook we have instagram but we really haven't started up snapchat or tiktok and our customer demographic, at least in the stores has always been a little bit older. So it was like, okay, if we do that, you know, most of our customers are going to laugh. They don't even know what TikTok is, but it's how can we get that next customer? And now when we're expanding into the e-commerce world, you know, that's, there's a whole huge, huge untapped market there. So I think that's a low hanging fruit for us and something that we talk about a lot. And I think at some point that'll probably become somebody's full-time job. And I, again, I think that's one of those things. Okay, you know, do, do we want to hire somebody on, have a, another salary on the books for social media manager? Or can we mm-hmm. kind of get by and have everybody do it a little bit? And then you know, what's worked for me in the past is at some point we'll be like, okay, this isn't working. We're at the yeah. point where we can see we're getting the returns on it you know, I don't have enough time to do it anymore. My e-commerce manager doesn't have time to do it anymore. My warehouse manager who is helping out a little bit doesn't have time anymore. So okay, we need to invest in this person. And we've been lucky because every time we've done that, we have kind of find the perfect individual for that. So yeah, I Mm -hmm. I would say in the next year or so I could see that happening for sure.
1: Yeah, I'm imagining a whole screenplay of like your guys story and starting up and changing the business and, you know, going through its ups and downs and seems like a catchy, you know, good product placement type of piece of content to create that would be evergreen and yeah, continue to have returns for a long time just because the story is so different than, you know, a lot of other brands.
0: Absolutely.
1: I love that. I also, yeah, it's fun thinking about all your employees shipping in like your warehouse manager doing <laughs> social media and stuff or whatever it may be. That's, that's great. So did you have to change your backend logistics once you went, you know, into the world of e-commerce before it sounded like you were pretty local based and, you know, you were shipping from your stores. Once you have, you know, orders coming in from Florida and California and Seattle, like how did you think about adjusting your back end to meet those needs?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think it was uh, a lot of it was like research and setting some of those things right away. But usually it was we would ad- a problem would occur and we'd be like, OK, there's got to be a solution out there to fix this problem. And nine times out of 10, there was because somebody had experienced it before us because we were a little bit later to the game. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot that went into do it. I, I mean, I think it was 10 years ago that we computerized the business before that. It was just like an old register. like there was nothing. Uh-huh. <laughs> there was no inventory, anything like that. So that was before I came in. But that was kind of the first big thing is that we actually computerized everything. And then when I came in, it was switching over um, yeah, our, our website host. Um, that was a, a big thing for us. And our stock in stores didn't sync with our stock online. So, working with our point of sale system, we've got a, a great uh, point of sale system that uh, it's, it's a small, independently owned and operated thing. So, if we want anything, we go to him and say, "Hey, we need this to work with this. Can you mm-hmm. do it?" And, and nine times out of ten, again, he's able to do that. So that that's been great for us. Um, so, it was think, syncing that stock right away. And then I think a lot of it then was on the back end of, okay, how do we manage all these orders coming in from different places? with stock being in different store locations and, and some of the software that's out there has, has been, you know, great for us, but that, that had been some of the bigger investments in the last year, especially as volume went up because there were times where you could kind of limp along and we were okay and we weren't making mistakes, but all of a sudden if we were going shipping from you know, five packages in my smallest store location to 30 packages a day and there's only two or three employees who are working there, it needs to be as simple as possible to, you know, to be able to keep up with that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's something that kind of came out of necessity.
1: Yeah. Well, now that you're quite a few years in, if you were to look back from when you're first starting out, what kind of advice would you give yourself from knowing what you know now?
0: It's gonna be harder than you think it is. But like I thought I was gonna come into this and I was like, okay, you know, I've got my experience from corporate retail. There's things that like the, the business is is not doing or a little bit antiquated. All I have to do is like build a website and then you know sail off into the sunset and it'll be great. And it mm-hmm. was a lot more work than I thought it was. And the corporate world is stressful because you don't have control over everything but you know it, it wore on me after a while but I think having your own business it, there's things that are better about it but then there's also things that are a lot more stressful about it when covid hits having to worry about like all my employees paying their mortgage and do I keep paying them their paycheck and um you know I think that's been um you know something that I didn't really think I, I, I knew about it, but I didn't think it was going to be, you know, as impactful as, as it had been uh, over the last five years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely uh, way different. I as well came from the corporate world and yeah, running a company and having to think about employees and when things aren't going great, sometimes being like, yeah, oh, this is so hard trying to figure out what's the right thing to do. And oftentimes not having a playbook. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's a struggle.
0: And sometimes you don't have as many people to bounce ideas off of. And and it's your decision yeah. at the end of the day. And if you choose wrong, it comes back to you. And I th- yeah. said that earlier. That's one of the reasons that I wanted to, to leave corporate America. But, you know, that that's a tough, you know, 11 o'clock p.m. decision sometimes. And you you know sleep on it one night and then you got to go and fuck stops at you. So,
1: yeah, yes, I feel that. <laughs> what, were there things at Abercrombie that you learned that you kind of brought into the business where you're like, now I've, you know been in a whole different um well i guess omni-channel world selling online retail like a big brand is there things that you picked up from there that you tried to incorporate into sherpers
0: for sure i think just like i was a a merchant there is what they call it and it's basically a hybrid between uh you work with the design team and manufacture all the clothing so basically from like the sketch phase to when it actually gets sewn in the factory that whole process was was me and then um uh, basically buying so all the buying really helped out all the Kind of retail math and, and knowledge of how to look at things and you know what reports to pull and things like that that really helped out um but then from that like manufacturing st- standpoint that helped me out too and we have some private label goods so again kind of being unique and and getting what our customer wants we have a few tents and backpacks and down jackets and things like that that with some of that experience that we had i was work- able to work with some of my vendor partners and manufacture that and and get things that maybe aren't on them in the market and you know it's not maybe something that's going to sell really well in Denver, Colorado, or Seattle, Washington, where some of these big outdoor retailer companies are based. But in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, this is all anybody wants. So I could go out and manufacture, bring it there. And some of those things have been my best-selling items in the store. So that was definitely cool. something that, that was a, a big benefit from having that experience at Abercrombie.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. Is that something uh, like the white label products? Is that something you're going to lean into more over the coming years?
0: Yeah, I think so. And, and as we've been able to scale and as we've been able to scale e-commerce, like that's really helped out with it because in order to do that, you need to order minimum order quantities. So when we were only two brick and mortar stores to order, mm-hmm. you know, a thousand jackets, that was a huge order and that might last us two or three years. So we wouldn't really see the returns on that right away. But now being three brick and mortar stores and opening up the e-commerce side of it, you know, I can do some more of that private, private label because I have some of the more buying power behind it. So I, I can see us expanding on that for sure.
1: Very cool. All right. Well, let's jump over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Nathan? I'm ready. Okay. If you had a podcast, what would it be about and who would your first guest be?
0: Oh, that's a good one. I think it would be about like mental health. I think that's a topic that's become bigger and bigger over the last couple of years. And I think it's important. And I think maybe not as like self-help, but I think just talking about, you know, how be- people deal with certain careers and certain lifestyles and people who don't have a care in the world and people who all they do is, you know, have panic attacks. And, yeah. you know, I think just talking about how people cope with different things and somebody, I'm not a huge basketball fan, but uh, Kevin Love is is somebody, he's a, he's a basketball player who's been really outspoken about um, his mental health and just how he deals with being in the spotlight and having, a stressful job, like it's not, you know, maybe a, a doctor, but to be, you know, have everybody's eyes on you and everybody kind of counting on you. He talks about that a lot. And it's just different. It's cool to see just different people's mindsets. So I think he would be somebody that I'd have on and just talk through the process of, you know, how do you live life? How do you set your life up for success, both personally and professionally? And, you know, kind of what makes you tick? I, th- I think that would be my focus for sure.
1: Yeah. That sounds good. What's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you?
0: That's a good one. Um, Probably the just like the support of my wife. She's in the other room right now and letting me do this on our first day of vacation. So oh. um, we got married, we got engaged, married, and now we're pregnant.
1: Whoa! Congratulations! That's amazing.
0: So I think just like the sport, especially over this year, just being there for me. It's it's you know being the spouse of uh, somebody that has their own businesses is. is probably the hardest job at, yes. and the second hardest job is having your own business. So yep. I, I think just like being there for me and being that support system has been awesome.
1: Yeah. So needed when I uh, run your own company. For sure. What's one thing you don't understand today that you wish you did?
0: Cryptocurrency. I, I get it, but I'm just uh-huh. curious of how it's going to impact retail. Like I think just how that evolves and what happens there. And if that's kind of the next, next big wave of something that really has a huge impact on retail, uh, it'll be interesting to see that, and and it's something that I need to keep my you know kind of finger on the pulse to see what's going on with it because it is kind of so abstract to me. Yep,
1: yeah, that's a good one. And the last one, what one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in next year?
0: Probably shipping and logistics. I mean, I think just the cost of it and the complexity of it, and just how that's evolving. I think you know what you're seeing with Amazon taking on kind of more of their shipping and logistics and continuing to build out warehouse centers. Um, I know Walmart, I think has the patent on a floating blimp distribution center where the drones are flying out of it. Like, I think just what happens in that in the next couple of years is going to have a huge impact on pricing and profitability and what consumers are expecting. So I think that's going to be the biggest thing this year and and probably in the next five years too.
1: All right, Nathan, well, this has been such a fun chat. Where can people find out more about you and Sherpers?
0: Yeah. So Sherpers.com. We also have a sister site that's called mkeblades.com. It's where we have all um, of our, our knives. So there's uh, that was something that I learned when we when we came into the store. There's a lot of knife knife collectors out there. So we have kind of our outdoor hunting knives that you would use. People collect coins or cars or anything like that. They love knives as well. So that we've got that site as well. And then otherwise we've got three uh, brick and mortar store, store locations in a triangle around um, Milwaukee. So if you're ever in the Milwaukee area, absolutely look us up.
1: Cool. I want to come. That sounds fun. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter. To get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash upnextincommerce. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.